I am so glad that you are here this morning to uh, be a part of God showing up. And, and that's, that is de- that's our desire here at Lighthouse. We just want to worship the Lord. We just want other people to catch on to the life that we have because of Jesus Christ. So if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want to make sure you hear this. God loves you. God loves you. I hope you walk away this morning, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, but you would know this, that God loves you. God loves you. Well, if you missed yesterday, we had our uh, vision day yesterday. If you missed yesterday, you missed a day, all right? And so I want to encourage you, if you missed it, we're going to actually have that online. You can go, you can check it out, you can catch up because there's some big things that are coming down the pike and want you to be a part of that. So here's the thing. Y'all know what happened on July 4th, 1776, right? Right? What happened? What happened? Maybe you don't know. Signing of the Declaration of Independence, right? So I didn't, maybe some of you may have known this, but I didn't know this. On July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress charged uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, put them together on a committee and charged them with the task of coming up with a seal for this new country called the United States of America. Roughly over a little bit of uh, over a month later, on August 20th, 1776, Adams, Jefferson, and Franklin would present their thoughts and their ideas for this new seal for the United States of America. The Continental Congress would toss out a lot of their suggestions, but they would keep two specific pieces of that suggestion. The first one being the all-seeing eye of providence. Okay, and and actually you can see both of these sides of the seal on the back of the $1 bill. The second thing that the Continental Congress came, kept, was the Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, e pluribus unum, which in all honesty was was really a great um, line, was a great thought for this nation, for this country that was, it was an appropriate choice for this country. This country who was, who was composed of kind of the, the refuse, the outcasts, if you will, who came to this country looking for freedom, freedom to make my own choices, freedom to be who I want to be, to worship the way I want to worship. And maybe, just maybe, the chance for self-governance. And they came from everywhere. I mean, you had Dutch and Italians and Germans and Englishmen and you had Greeks and Africans and they all came together as the ingredients, as the ingredients of this brand new melting pot. E pluribus unum. Out of many one it's exciting to me and yet that that phrase e pluribus unum out of many one would actually have been a fantastic latin line for a group of people thousands of years before that would gather together known as the way 
This group of people, they, they, they followed this, this uh, popular rabbi by the name of Jesus. And yet they wouldn't claim that he was just a good teacher. They would actually say that he was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. He came to earth and died a grisly death on a cross to save all of humanity. And on top of that, he came back to life. He resurrected from the dead. Now, while Jesus resurrected, or after Jesus resurrected, this group called the Way would say that, that this Jesus was on earth for about 40 days, and he would connect and, and be, participate in different things and reveal to them that he truly was alive, that he truly was resurrected, he wasn't just a ghost. And he would tell them, I want you to wait, wait here in Jerusalem until my father gives you what he promised you that promise would come all of a sudden on this one particular day and and this promise was the fulfillment of God's Holy Spirit and he made quite an entrance I mean something the world had never seen before and quite possibly won't ever see again and the Holy Spirit showed up and it was crazy commotion and yet the wheels started turning and things began to change. It was a spectacular event, unlike any other. This appearing of the Holy Spirit, the wise counsel, this brand new superpower, if you will. And this group caught on. And they came from everywhere. They came from various backgrounds. They were young and old, rich and poor, slaves and free men. They came from countries whose names we can't even begin to pronounce today. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. And that, my friends, is the description of what would happen next. The church would be born on that day. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. That church would begin right then and right there. We call it the church, and the church had its beginnings in humble and oftentimes chaotic circumstances. They started small, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four specific disciplines that they would practice together as this new church Four specific things that they chose, that they knew, because they came from varied backgrounds, because they all came from, from different places and different cultures and different contexts, they had to find something that would unite them together, which was through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and so they devoted themselves to these four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship with each other, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Why prayer? Because prayer changes things, right? Devoted. Last week, we talked about they devoted themselves, and we talked about that, that word devoted, adjective, zealous, or ardent attachment, loyalty, or affection. They were devoted in this way to God and to each other. And as the church began to get its legs underneath itself, as the church began to, to, to grow, and get off the ground they saw the results of that devotion 
It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43 and on, it says everyone, 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 say everyone. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all of them, were together. Now remember, if you go back, if you weren't here, my name is Doug Swink and I'm, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and, and we've been talking about Acts. And if you remember, when it says all the believers were together in Jerusalem, if you remember, if you look back just a few verses, Peter, after the Holy Spirit makes his amazing entrance into the world forevermore, never to be a glimpse, but to be a permanent resident within the lives and the temple bodies of the followers of Jesus, Peter announces this, he, he, he gives this message to the people. At that point then, there were about 120 followers of the way of Jesus Christ. One day, 3,000 people turn their lives up. They're baptized. 3,000 people. All the believers, that's all, 3,120-ish, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I love how those are absolute statements. It's not like, well, you know, a bunch of the believers are together, and they, they had a lot in common. No, no, no. Luke tells us all the believers were together and had everything in common. Check out what they did. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. Every day. Notice the absolutes. All, everyone, everything. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God together. Whoo, man. That is amazing. Father, in the next few minutes, I believe you are in this place. Lord, what an incredible time of worship. And I hope and pray that, Lord, more than me feeling good about worshiping you, I hope that you looked and said, wow, my kids really worship me the way I love it in spirit and in truth. And, Father, over these next few minutes, as, as we talk about what it means to be your disciple, Jesus, I pray, I pray that we would be impacted. As we see what they did, we will see what we can do. And what they did and what we do will change the world. Help us to be game changers. Help us to be world changers, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said rousingly. Amen. Amen. All right. So check it out. We just read what happened, right? They all got together. They had everything in common. You know, people would sell property or sell, sell material possessions to meet the needs so that everybody had their needs met. And they were praising God, gathering together at the temple where they, were, they, were, they would study scripture and learn more about Jesus and, and how that all worked out, right, as the, the apostles would teach. And they would have meals together. I mean, it was amazing. In fact, this very first church fulfills the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Now, I've, I've, I've talked about John chapter 17 a lot. It has been, for me, over the last year in 2021, which was a rough year for, for most of us here with COVID and everything, and praise God, it looks like we're starting to kind of move, move out of that time, okay? 
But John chapter 17 was amazing to me because of Jesus' prayer. That Jesus prayed for himself in John chapter 17. Jesus prayed for his disciples. And in John chapter 17, he prayed for you and me. And this church, at the very beginning of the church, you and I are a part of the church. Whether you, whatever uh, denominational background you come from or no denomination, you're part of the church. It's called the Catholic Church. Not this church, okay, but the Catholic Church we're talking about is Catholic means universal. Okay, so in the same way that Lighthouse is a church, we are brothers and sisters with Voyage right across the, the cornfield behind us or, or with Calvary or Radiant or, or the bridge. We're all part of the church, okay? And the, this church, the church that we're a part of, the seeds were planted 2,000 years ago in that first church. And when we look at that first church, we see what it takes to make a difference in the world we live in today. That first church fulfilled Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. When Jesus prayed and said to the Father, he said, you and I are one, and make them one the way you and I are one and he would wrap it up by saying in John chapter 17 verse 23 I in them that's us that's us I in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity so that they may be brought to complete unity when you look at Acts what we just read in Acts chapter 2 verses 43 through 45 would you not agree that they were in complete unity that they, that they were studying the scriptures together, that they were having meals together, that they were worshiping at the temple together, that they were providing for the needs of each other together. I would, I would say that that would qualify as complete unity. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Then, when that complete unity is there, then the world will know that you, Father, sent me the son and have loved them even as i have loved you and we will see that prayer right there fulfilled in that very first church where the seeds were planted and watered and fertilized and that plant that grew out of the ground wasn't just beautiful but it was world-changing it was history changing that's what happened they did it that first church they did it okay the first church was a true living utopia and how did they do it how did they do it? And I know you're sitting there going, tell me the answer. But when you think about it, I don't want to just spoon feed you the stuff. When you look at what they did, how did they do it? It's very simple. It's three words. They chose to live life different. They chose to live life different. Jesus was now their life. And the only way to live life was to live like Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. They couldn't live in the world. They couldn't live like the world. 
and still please God. They couldn't. They had to live differently. They, they, they changed their eternal address, so they had to change their lifestyle. They couldn't live in the world and live like the world and please God. They had to live like Jesus. And you know what? Really, honestly, it, it wasn't too hard for them to live differently in the world that they lived in. It wasn't too hard to live and look different, living in a world that literally would take unwanted babies and put them on a curb or put them on a trash heap and leave them out there in exposure to die. They lived in a world where, where they would take human beings and put them in an arena and watch them be mauled to death by wild animals or killed by professional soldiers because they loved the sport of human death. There was no value to life in their time. A world that looked out for me and mine, but constantly looked over their shoulder to make sure that someone wasn't coming after them to get what was theirs. That's the world that they lived in. And it was in this kind of world that these followers would live differently. Literally. Just by living differently is how they made a difference. Look at what it says. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's pretty significant, right? I mean, if you knew somebody within the body of Christ here, you knew somebody who was down and in need. I mean, you know, making a meal for them is one thing, and that's great. I'm not, I'm not, but, but to say, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my house so that you have what you need. So this group over here has what they need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell my car, right? I'm, I'm going to quit school. I'm going to... They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. It wasn't just coming to church. I mean, every day they would be in the temple so that they could learn more, so they could grow in their knowledge of God, so that they could understand the Messiah and what he had done for us and for them. They gathered together. But outside of that, they broke bread in their homes. Broke bread is another way of saying they'd have meals together. They'd eat together, like all the time. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things that my family would do is that we would go to my grandma and grandpa's house almost every Sunday. We would go to grandma and grandpa's house, and, and we, would, we would have a meal together. And sometimes there'd be other family members, and I loved it. I loved that time as a kid growing up. It was fun. It was loud. There's good food. It was a good time. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God. You know what's cool about a meal? You ever notice that at the dinner table, there's not a higher end and a lower end. It's all a level table, right? That's how it was for the early church. When you came together to eat that meal together, it wasn't rich and poor, young and old, slave and free, male and female. They were all the same. When you sat down to eat that meal, that was a level playing field. We're all the same. And that's true 
in the economy of God, isn't it? That's true in God, in who God is, that God created us equal. That's what our, that's what our declaration of independence says, that all people are created equal. Where do you get that from? You get it from God. And so when they came and they ate together, they ate as equals with glad and sincere hearts praising God. They stopped living for self and started living for each other. Whatever it took, whatever means were needed to make sure that everyone experienced peace and joy and hope, to make sure that everybody experienced Jesus. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's the only place that we're ever going to find that peace and joy and hope. And so this group of people did things differently. When they would break bread in their homes and they eat together, it didn't matter who you were. You were invited to the table. And that was radically different from the hospitality that was going on in that time between the Romans and the Greeks. Usually when you would show hospitality, there was a reason behind the hospitality. Usually the person who put together the meal was looking for some sort of benefit or retribution. That if I invite you to my house to eat, at some point you're going to invite me to your house. Or if I invite you to my house, you're probably my boss, and I'm looking for a raise, or I'm looking for a promotion, or I'm looking, there's some kind of benefit. But there was no benefit other than getting together to praise Jesus and grow together as a community even playing field. I love it. It was radically different. They lived different. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the paraphrase, the message. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's needs was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of that, right? Who wouldn't want to be part of a meal that's a celebration and exuberant and joyful? Everyone would want to be a part of that. Who wouldn't be a part, uh, attracted to that? But the question is this, how does that happen? Because in our natural inclination, 95% of us aren't going to naturally just participate in something like this, much less open our home every day or every week for this to happen. So what is the impetus? What is the power behind this kind of thing happening, behind this kind of living life different? And it's one word. It's one word. One simple word that was found in the life of Jesus. It's why he came to earth. Love. Love. That is the force. That is the power behind it. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you get the command there? There's no wiggle room. It's not conditional. If they love you, you can love them back. 
all right? And if they don't love you, you don't have to keep love. No, 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 no. He said, you must love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The interesting thing about this is that you and I both know that there are some people who are easier to love than others, right? We don't get let off the hook, friends. Because the same Jesus who said, love one another, also said, love your enemies. I wish he wouldn't have said that. I can, I can live with love one another. But love your enemies? And pray for those who persecute you? Come on. Come on. It's by that love that people know that we are followers of Jesus. Love. It's the only power strong enough to overcome my biases is the only power strong enough to overcome my anger it's the only power strong enough to overcome my drive for success that would push aside people and marginalize them and make them feel worse about themselves so I can get what I want it's the only power strong enough to help me see your value It's the only power strong enough to make it so that I see your value to God and to the kingdom. And that your worth is worth more than anything I have. What does that look like? How, How does that change the world? What do I have to do to live differently? What do I have to do to love differently? How can I have, what does that look like? How do I love differently? How did they do that? And Paul gave us the greatest way to do that. The greatest way to show that love, right? He showed us how we can do it. What, it, what that kind of love, radical, living life, life differently love looks like when he wrote this, when he said, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. I'm reading this slow so that you and I can understand when that church was living differently, they were living exactly like this. Living life differently means that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. That's a tough one. When I was younger, when I was in high school and in college, in order for me to feel good about myself and people's expense. I would dishonor them. But love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
That's a tough one right there, right? Doesn't hold, love does not hold a grudge. Love doesn't say, yeah, 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 I know I forgave you, but do you remember when you... Yeah, 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 I love you, but I remember last time. No, no, no. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And the next three words are the linchpin that hold it all together. Love never fails. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. But it didn't end there. Jesus rose again because that's the power of love. And love never fails. You know what? You want to know what it takes to live different? That's it right there. It's living in love, and not just the easy people to love, but loving everyone. Not just loving people who are a part of the fellowship, who are a part of Lighthouse Community Church. Not just loving the Christian that you see walking through mire, but loving your enemy, those who have hurt you. Loving everyone, because love never fails. That's how we live different. It's a tall task, I know. And I know it seems impossible, and for me on my own, and for you on your own, even the best of you, it's impossible. But in the beginning of this chapter two, we saw the power of God that gives us the ability to love everyone always because love never fails. And that, my friends, is the power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't make it easier. Right? It doesn't make things easier. But I can bear things. I can work through things. And I can love people who have hurt me. It doesn't mean I have to be best friends with them. It doesn't mean I have to hang out with them. love and I pray for them and I want the best for them which is love because love never fails that first church took to heart Jesus commands to love your neighbor as yourself and to do to others what you want done for you they lived different and because they lived different look at what the results were they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people, not just that 3,120 where it's like high five, good, well, COVID, fist bump, okay, elbows. No, they were enjoying the favor of all the people, the people outside. There was such an amazingness to their movement. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So much so that they lived different, and their different living led to favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because they lived different, 
people saw it as attractive. Again, I love how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message, where he says, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Because of love. Love changes hearts. Love changes minds. Love changes people. Love changes eternity. Love. How do we reach the 61% of Kalamazoo who has no relationship with Jesus Christ? No affiliation with God whatsoever. 61% or more. How do we change that? We change Kalamazoo. We change the world with love. So, three follow-up questions for you as you contemplate what we've talked about today. Okay, three questions for you to think through. Question number one, what does living differently mean to you? What does living differently mean to you? Second question, even more powerful, what does living differently mean to God? And after you've answered those two questions, look at where they connect and disconnect. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's not going to change for you. I need to change for him. Third question, what will it take for you to grow in love? As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and those, those, eight, uh, those verses that end in love never fails, what's it going to take for you? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-serving. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. And it lists all of these different things. And love never fails. What's it going to take for you to grow in love? Because love leads us as followers of Jesus to live different. And that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take. No longer us being Christians in name only. Because those aren't really Christians. Followers of Jesus. Follow his commands. Love one another and change the world because we live different. And those Jesus followers lived differently because of what they believed. And what they believed had a direct influence on how they lived. And so this morning, before we sing, would you stand up with me? I would like for us to uh, recite the Apostles' Creed. I love the Apostles' Creed because it 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 is the definition of what we believe. And remember when it says the Holy Catholic Church, it means the church universal, not a denomination, okay? So would you join me in this? Let's read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Ha! The story doesn't end there. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And everybody said, amen. Let's continue worshiping by closing out and singing what we just talked about. Great are you, Lord.